Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer R. Levin, and I'm a traumatic grief therapist and founder of Therapy Heals, where we help organizations and individuals prepare and heal from sudden or unexpected death. And in my podcast, Untethered, Healing the Pain from Sudden Death, I share resources and stories to help you go from the chaos of sudden or unexpected death to move towards healing in your life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals struggle through the pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In today's podcast, I interview Richard and Joy Abador, whose 18-year-old daughter, Syra, died by suicide approximately two years ago. Suicide is currently the 11th leading cause of death in the United States. In 2021, there was an average of 132 suicide deaths per day and a total of 48,123 total deaths. The highest rate of suicides are by middle-aged white men, and the rates of suicide are rising among young adults. Currently, suicide is the second leading cause of death among young adults ages 15 to 24. And according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, almost 20% of high school students have seriously contemplated suicide. According to Dr. Carl Flesher, who specializes in adolescent and child psychiatry, young people are vulnerable to suicide because of where they stand socially and developmentally. Developmentally, their prefrontal cortex is not fully formed, making them more impulsive and unable to weigh the risks and consequences in the same manner as adults. Dr. Flesher also states they're not as socially connected in society because they've not yet had a chance to engage in committed relationships or have children and establish themselves compared to the older generations. Today, Richard and Joy share with us how Cyrus' suicide has impacted their family, differences in how they grieve in their marriage, and how they've learned to live with so many unanswered questions. They talk about their decision to be public with family and friends regarding Cyrus' decision to end her life, and how they have coped with their traumatic grief. Before I start, I also want to mention that in my next podcast, I'm going to be joined by Richard and Joy's other daughters, Leah and Taya, who are going to continue today's conversation from their perspective. Well, welcome, Richard and Joy, and thank you so much for being here today. So can you start off and take a few minutes and introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Richard Abudor, and... I'm 50 years old, and Joy is 48, and we've been married for 25 years, and we have four children, four children uh, now three with the passing of our daughter, Syra. Um, Alon is our son. He's oldest. He's 26. Leah is 23, and 
Taya is 18. If Syrah were alive today, she would be 21 years old. So I am Joy. I'm Richard's wife. I am a paraeducator at a nearby middle school, and I help students with learning disabilities. Um, some of the things I like to do is gardening, uh, reading, travel, and spending some time uh, with my family. And for me, I work in um, for Boeing in compliance and certification. Uh, my hobbies are spending time with my family, whether it's watching movies, we hike, um, play golf, just hanging out. Uh, otherwise, personally, I like to exercise. I, I weight train, I hike, like to walk and do sunflower gardening. Sunflower gardening. That sounds fun. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful that you are here today to share your story. In fact, the next two episodes are going to focus on how your daughter's death by suicide impacted your entire family. And today we're going to talk about your grief experiences as her parents. And in my next episode, I will have a chance to talk with your daughters about their grief. And I just want to acknowledge that it takes a lot of courage to share your family's story. And I really want to thank you in advance and let you both know that in doing so, you're bringing a lot of comfort and healing to so many others um, that are walking similar paths. So when you're ready, start us off by telling us what happened the night that your daughter died. Well, it was a Friday night, September 4th, 2020 to be exact. Um, our son, He's the oldest. He was up north, um, somewhere in the San Juan Islands, somewhere remote, but camping for the weekend. Um, our second oldest, Leah, she was at school in Riverside, California. And so in the house, uh, it's me, Joy, Syrah, she's our third oldest, Taya, and then uh, Joy's mom lives with us as well. <clears throat> and so that night, um, we were going to go have dinner with friends, hang out at the casino. Just a nice um, outing. Nothing out of the ordinary. Um, Taya was to hang out with our friends' kids uh, at their house. And this was down south. Um, in the Federal Way area. We had invited Syra to come out with us uh, earlier in the week and then again the same day um, right before we left. Uh, however, both times she declined saying she was going to stay home and take care of Grandma. Uh, and Grandma lives, like I said, with us and she suffers from Alzheimer's disease, um, which is a challenge in and of itself. But the three of us, uh, Joy, Taya, and I, we we had left about 5 p.m. And again, like I said, checked in with Sarah if she wanted to come still. And she said, no, I'll just take care of Grandma. I'll stay home. Uh, otherwise, it was just a typical weekend night, just going out. Mind you, on many occasions, Sarah goes out with us. But you know what? She's 18. 
going on 19 and she wanted to stay home. So that was perfectly fine. Um, so we were out while, while at the casino. And I remember like 7.30, Joy, Leah, our oldest girl, and Syrah had a brief text exchange. And again, nothing out of the ordinary. And um, so we thought everything's just fine. And so um, we enjoy the rest of the evening. We left the casino at about 11 p.m. and picked up Taya and then headed back home. Got home about close to midnight. And we, when we came home, everything seemed normal. Opened the door. Um, Taya went upstairs quickly. And she wanted to share with Syrah the fun things she did with the other kids that night. Joy was putting some leftover food in the fridge. She was putting that away in the kitchen. And I was just kind of close to the stairway, probably taking off my shoes. And then um, then I heard Taya upstairs in the most concerned voice, calling out Cyrus' name repeatedly. And it was a different tone. And so I... I ran upstairs. I, I knew something was wrong. And I ran upstairs, ran to our master bedroom where, where we sleep, and then our our master bath. And Taya was there looking at Syrah, and Syrah was lying in our master bathtub. She wasn't moving. So that's how we found her. Want to add to that? Joy. Yeah, when we found her, I was still in shock. Um, I went outside and I called 911 right away. Um, and then I kept on telling Richard, can you just check for a pulse and see if, you know, maybe she's breathing, you know. Um, um but she wasn't, and and then nine one one came. I'm so sorry. So this was completely unexpected. Yes, yes, very unexpected. Um, who Sarah was? She's very intelligent, very smart. She's very kind-hearted, hardworking young woman. She was actually enrolled to um, to the University of Washington. Um, she was going to attend the University of Washington in a couple of weeks. You know, she, she she wasn't diagnosed with any mental illness. She just seemed perfectly normal. You know, she she grew up <laughs> like any child. You know, playing with her siblings, playing with neighbors, going to school. She had friends, talks to people. She's athletic. She's been playing volleyball since she was six or seven. And she grew up with love and care. That's the best that Joy and I could provide. I mean, she was she was smart. She practically had a 4.0 GPA. She played volleyball all four years in high school, two years in varsity. So a very productive person, you know. She was... She was just courteous and considerate and 
and again we uh, this was completely unexpected so like Richard mentioned she didn't have a diagnosis of depression or anxiety but <clears throat> in hindsight um um and this was during the pandemic so um she didn't want to get out of the house she wanted to stay in her bedroom um and then she started arguing with me about outings like I even asked her if she wanted to get a pedicure and she didn't want to do that or we wanted to take a trip on the weekend and she didn't want to do that um she also didn't want to do her chores so you know I wasn't sure if this was because of COVID or um she was just being an 18 year old yeah could be in phase so hard to tell and the reason I asked about you know being so unexpected um, is because many times a suicide will be sudden, but not so unexpected. When you first saw Syra and you realized it was a suicide, what went through each of your minds? Well, it's utter horror and shock when you find your child lying there and there's blood, and um, it's just shock, shock. And so, like Joy said, we called nine one one. I tried to check for a pulse. I did no pulse. The whole time, it's just chaotic. I'm thinking, what happened? Did someone just break in the house and hurt her, or was this in fact a suicide? Just trying to process everything. <clears throat> Is somebody in the house? You know, get help for Syrah. Maybe she's still alive. Then I got to check on Joy and Taya. But a lot of what I remember is just chaos, shock, pain, and fear. It's just help, helplessness. And you just never, you never ever want to see your child in um, pain or suffering. You know. Um, and to see her life um, lifeless was just excruciating. You know, I um, wasn't able to help her. It was, it was devastating. How public were you that your daughter died by suicide? So um, we had her celebration of life uh, eight days after her passing. Um, and Richard and I decided that during her celebration of life um, at church, uh, we were going to mention that she died by suicide because we we knew that there were a lot of people out there um, who were isolated and they probably had, you know, um, they were suffering. So we wanted to put it out there that they're not alone and, um, you know, that there were resources available if they're feeling lonely. Um, so right away, we made it public. Um, there were a lot of teenagers um, at church. There was just a lot of people at church um, who went to her celebration of life. Um, and I was consumed with so much grief that, um, you know, I didn't feel the stigma. Um, 
or any stigma. My oldest daughter's friend died by suicide her senior year, and my boss died by suicide a couple years prior to this. So um, I kind of knew about suicide, and I was more focused on preventing it. Didn't want any parent or anybody else to feel the way we felt losing Syrah. Wow. So you had had some experience with this before. I mean, obviously, can't even compare to your own daughter. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of mentioned stigma and that survivors of suicide often talk about experiencing stigma or shame. Have you encountered this at all? You know, I have to, you know, not not really. I have to think that possibly the social media and the news, the way they push better mental health, um, suicide prevention, those kinds of things, I, I think lately, especially after COVID, um, maybe even during COVID, which is when Sarah died, was, you know, there's more uh, awareness for folks. You know, mental health awareness month, suicide prevention month. Um, so most of the folks were very supportive. Um, outpouring of love and support is what we got when it happened. Um, and yeah, I, like Joy said, you know, we we didn't want to hide it. You know, I, honestly, I didn't care if if folks thought, oh, what's wrong with that family? Why did their daughter kill her kill herself? You know. That that goes through my mind personally, but you know, we we did the best we could raising her up and we thought everything was normal and something underlying um was deeper within her that that um I guess that night she just got really low and um did it. Did, you know. There's some things to that, but I'm not going to share that in this podcast. Of course. Of course. How was your, um, or let me ask, what were some of the ways you grieved together and differently in your marriage? I mean, everyone grieves differently. There's different gender styles. I mean, so as a couple, what's that been like for you? Well, everybody, everybody's different. So everybody grieves in their own manner. Um, I tend to internalize, you know, I'm struggling and internalize. And so I guess Syrah was like that, you know, everything's fine type of thing. Um, and, um, you know, together, uh, we visit Syrah's grave from time to time, um, one way to help with our healing is Sarah used to grow sunflowers in the corner of the house and uh, just a few, five or six. And so we took that spot and we built a sunflower garden and to honor her and her memory. We've expanded it more until, and, you know, we till it and we plant seedlings together and, you know, there's like 50 sunflowers now. Well, currently now that we've been doing that every summer for the past two years. And so right now we have about 50 um, or so growing in that spot. Um, and I think for yeah. 
me, I outwardly cry mm-hmm. um, and I don't hold it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cry at different times. Yeah. Um, but when we're crying and grieving, like when he's crying and grieving, I know just to be present <laughs> and vice versa. Um, he doesn't say anything to try to fix me or, you know, he's just, he's quiet. It's like this silence, um, silent presence presence when, um, we're crying at different times. You know, as her husband, I try to, I want to, when she's sad, I, I feel sad as well. So, you know, I, I'll either give her space and step out or I'll just be right there and just don't have to say anything. And if she wants to talk, she can talk. And like she said, most of the time I'm I'm quiet and I'm just crying and I'm not really a talker. So everybody grieves differently. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. I do appreciate you talking today. Um, we have a, a Facebook group and um, if you're comfortable, perhaps you can share some flower, um, some pictures of your sunflower garden. We'd love to post it. So I have no idea what that process looks like, but 50 sunflowers together must be absolutely stunning. It is pretty. Oh, yeah. Every every September, I, I post a whole bunch of pictures on my Instagram and Facebook. Oh, great. Yes, we'd love to um, share some of those um, in our Facebook group. Sure. So I'm curious, um, how has your family coped as a whole after Cyrus death? Initially, when Sarah passed, it was me, Taya, and Richard that had a family grief therapist. Um, And we did that for a few sessions. Um, And then we knew that we needed to get individual therapists as well. So we each have our own um, grief therapist as well to cope. Um, My daughter, who was in California, she had a counselor that she spoke with as well. My son was just so immersed in school. Um, He didn't see a therapist or counselor, but we did check on him often to make sure he's okay. Yeah. For, for me personally, I, I went to therapy for about a year and then I didn't for another year and I find myself having to go back. So currently I'm in therapy about every three weeks. There's um. There's a post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD aspect to all of that, especially in the in the manner we found her. And so that's the kind of stuff that you don't unsee. You know, when you go through that, they're, you know, just reflecting again how when we first saw her there and then that first couple of weeks, it was just pure, pure anguish, just soul-wrenching crushing anguish just the deepest pain that you could you could feel like at times I didn't even want to be alive myself it was just it hurt so bad um but yeah here we are yeah uh, that is truly the experience of traumatic grief it really is how has your relationship changed with your other children after this experience? 
relationship wise, I've always been really close with my children, all four of them. Um, maybe this time around with Syrah being gone, I was always checking up on them, um, making sure they're okay. Um, you know, with my son who was immersed in college, he didn't want a therapist, but once in a while I would offer it, you know, we can help you if you really want to see a counselor. And um, he seemed to be okay with that without seeing a counselor. So um, I was still being there for them, being available to them. Yeah, when you, when you have a, a huge loss like this, you know, most families, I can only speak for our family, but it changed where we're even closer because, you know, we do more check-ins, more in how are you doing, what are you up to? And we try to do things together. That can be difficult, especially with adult children, but we try to do things together. And um, honestly, call it negative or whatever, right or wrong, but kind of think oh I lost one child I don't want to lose anymore right so you you hug harder you love harder you listen better <clears throat> you just try to do everything better as a parent absolutely absolutely what has it been like to reflect on your relationship with Syrah and the expectations and hopes you had for her now that she's no longer living? Well, <clears throat> you know, they say the deepest pain you can feel is a parent losing a child. And um, I totally get that because, you know, to die young, she died when she was 18, she was almost 19. And receiving all the love we could give her all the teaching, you know, you feed your kids, you clothe your kids, you work hard to make sure they have a safe home. And then a, you know, parents expect their children to be good, you know, to good thing, to do good things, to be respectful and kind. And then maybe one day have a good job or business, make good money, buy your own house, have a boyfriend or girlfriend, <laughs> maybe find a spouse. <laughs> get married, maybe you have a family. All of that was gone in one night. Right? So you have all of all of these expectations. Like it's your future, you know, you think you think about your future. And to say you, you don't think about it. That's not true. Every parent thinks about it. You know, um, all of that was gone in one night. It's it's not easy for folks listening to this podcast and having to think that, oh, they'll get over it. They'll have other kids. Time will heal. You know, whatever have you. That That's not easy. That, that It's tough. But people that knew Syrah, you know, she was an amazing person, daughter, sister, and friend. She was going to do great things on this earth and be successful in whatever she did. But her death has left a huge hole in many people's lives. And that hole 
will always be there for me and me personally. I have to live with it. I'm kind of different with Richard. Um, whereas I have this real close relationship with Syrah where um, we both had similarities in um, gardening. We love plants. Um, we love Harry Potter and Studio Ghibli. She's the one I would go to when I wanted to try a new dessert. It was me and her. Um, so the grieving for me, I don't really know if it's the expectations that I was grieving, but more of that I miss her and I missed having to do all these things with her. So I, it was more for me um, missing that mother-daughter bond, you know, those moments with her. Yeah, and future opportunities with her. Yeah. When we spoke prior to our interview, you mentioned that Syra did not leave a note. How did that impact your grief? So the night we found her, I was hitting the walls and saying, why? I even asked the police officer, why did she do this? I just kept on asking why. Um, so that night, I even went to her extremely organized, clean room and tried to find anything, any note, anything from her journal, I looked in her phone. My cousin and I hacked her computer so we can find out, you know, why why did she do this? And it just made the grief harder um, because there's just so many unanswered questions. Um, and I think without knowing why she did this, I don't know. For me, it was just really difficult for me. But I'm at the point where I know I may never know why. And and that's okay for me. What about you, Richard? You know, for <clears throat> for for humans, we always want to know why and the reasons. So to have to have no note definitely did make it difficult and and I don't, you know, there's no way to measure it, but maybe, maybe it just lengthens the grieving process, but definitely hard. Yeah. Um, just a little bit of information. Um, although it's really hard to measure, current estimates indicate that anywhere from three to 42% of people actually leave a note when they make a decision to end their life. So most people really don't. Um, but, you know, speaking to that, what the point you just made about like unanswered questions, um, in addition to grief and pain, um, suicide leaves so many unanswered questions. And there's so many unique aspects about suicide. And I'm curious, besides the reason of why, what other unanswered questions have you learned or have you had to learn to live with? Well, I've had lots of whys. Those, that's the biggest question right there. You know, why Why our family? Why our kid? You know, especially when I see other families, they look like they're flourishing. Their kid just graduated. Their kid's going to 
college, and they're alive and healthy, you know. And here I have them, like Cyrus gone, you know. Um, so two things that have helped me uh, understand why was uh, the day that she died. Uh, I was, like I said, it was chaotic, but after about an hour, you know, we had like 10 or 12 EMTs and officers in our house. And I just ended up being outside in the front of the house and there was an officer there. Oh yeah. We were waiting for the medical examiner to arrive. And I don't know that, I guess that officer, he felt a tug and he actually said something because most of the time they're quiet because <laughs> um, I guess they're still investigating and so forth. But anyway, he said, you know, I, I, I'm sorry for your loss. And this may not make sense to you, but in my family, I had a suicide. And one, two things I'll tell you is, number one, people are complicated. And number two don't go that down that bunny path of blaming yourself so that officer helped me and i still remember that day and then the second thing that kind of maybe helps me with the why is uh, my doctor friend in california had called me to try to help me out i returned his call and he explained how People that commit suicide, they're sick. And the way he explained it is, think about when some kind of harm is coming at you. Let's say let's say somebody's trying to punch you or attack you, or a car is coming right at you. Your natural reaction is defense. So you're going to protect yourself. Get it out of the way of the, the punch or the attack or jump out of the car's way. But you know what? With suicide, that's self-harm. And to actually hurt yourself, you're sick. And there's something wrong with your brain. Obviously, there's there could be, there are multiple triggers and causes that could make you feel um, wanting to perform self-harm. But there's something going on there where you're not your normal self, so you're sick. So to me, that's always helped me. And the problem is that that I have to live with is why didn't I know she was sick? Jar, what are your thoughts on that? I agree completely with what he said. Um, why did she do this? Why did she want to hurt her family? Um, and also question of, was our love not strong enough that, you know, she just didn't want to be here? And, and I don't think she wanted to hurt our family. You're just saying. I know. Just. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't know that part. No, I'm sure. <laughs> and are there some ways that you have come up or um, narratives that you've developed for yourself? to help you answer those questions? I have already accepted that I won't 
know anymore. Well, I, I know I won't know why she did what she did. And when I do see her again one day, you know, I don't want to ask her. I kind of just want to give her a big hug and tell her I love her. Sounds like that will be a beautiful reunion. I agree. Oh, go ahead, Richard. No, my <clears throat> my narratives were just answering those questions. Why, you know, the officer that helped me, and then my doctor friend that called me. Yeah. That that yeah. that kind of helps me. Yeah, and everybody creates their own narratives that work for them. Yes. Yeah. So I have two more questions for you, and now two years, a little after two years. How would you describe your grief now from, you know, those moments of shock and disbelief and chaos? What's it like now? Richard mentioned the saying, time will heal all wounds. And I used to believe that, but losing like, that, um, there, like he said, you know, there will always be a hole in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and I just have to accept that wound and move forward with it. And um, I tried to fill my days honoring her, um, like the garden. Um, Cyrus also environmentalist, you know, she believed in recycling and composting. So, you know, we do that to honor her. Mm -hmm. um, and also we, we're part of Support 7. It's an organization that um, um, companions those who have uh, traumatic loss. So um, we are also um, trying to help others as well. Are you able to experience joy or moments of happiness? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, life, life goes on, you know, we have we have three children, we have our marriage, you know, we're alive and otherwise healthy. Yeah, we're going through grief and losing our daughter but you gotta you gotta keep going you gotta you just gotta keep going and I always ask myself like when I'm in this depressed mode and I'm grieving and crying I always ask myself would Syrah want me to be doing this and when I know I know for sure she would be like no mom you need to go water my plants right now um you know I know that I I just need to move forward yeah, if, you know, if anybody listening to podcasts that has lost a loved one, I mean, definitely when you lose them, it, it's really intense. <clears throat> but as time goes by, it does get less intense, but that doesn't mean it goes away because it's always there. You just try to figure out how you can live with your loss and deal with your grief. You know, I still cry from time to time. And that, you know, that's okay. Just keep trying to do better and live your life. Yeah. Actually, that transitions us to our final question. What advice would you give to other parents who have just found this podcast and are brand new and have experienced the death of a child by suicide? 
obviously you provided this question in advance so i, I thought r real hard about it um and I, I do have some advice based on experience and what others have told me you know number one a friend of mine who lost her one-year-old baby to illness she told me be comfortable with your tears and let them come and so i find that advice that that advice helped with my healing continues to help with my healing as humans we are designed to heal and crying is a part of part of that number two is be patient with yourself and have grace for yourself because uh personally as a father it's my job to make sure my family is healthy and safe and so i um you know i have a lot of deep guilt and regret that this happened but you know i'm only a human being and so that's where i have to have grace for myself number three although it may be hard for some people but try to eat and sleep grieving is very taxing on the body and if you if you don't eat and sleep there can be negative effects on your body and your mind and, and it could get worse. It might even exacerbate some negative health issues you may existing have or you may develop if, if you don't eat and sleep. And then lastly, number four, uh, my friend who, who lost her baby uh, years ago, she told me, be patient and kind to each other. And she was talking to me about me and Joy because, you know, there have been times during these two and a half years where it definitely stressed our marriage patience with each other you know we're, we're we're human beings and we're grieving and we're going through a lot and so you got to be patient and kind to each other you know if you don't have anything good to say sometimes just don't say it because that could be damaging so be kind and patient with each other. So I agree with Richard too, where um, he mentioned um, to not hold back your tears. Um, when you're grieving and you want to cry, just cry. It, it's okay to cry. Um, also to take good care of yourself. And I know in the beginning, you know, you're saying, what do you, what do you mean take care of yourself when, when your daughter just passed away? Um, I ended up in the ER twice um, for severe panic attacks and um, extremely high blood pressure. And then I realized, oh my gosh, <laughs> it just hit me. I, I need to take care of myself. I need to do self-care, whether it's walking for 30 minutes or, you know, sitting quietly and meditating. I, I've been doing that now, so it's been very helpful to... To focus on me and take care of me. So um, definitely take care of yourself. And um, the quote of grief is love. And just know in your heart that, you know, you're grieving because you lost someone that you truly love. So, yeah. That's wonderful words of advice. I love that last question. I ask it in all my podcasts because, you know, you're at a space now where you can reflect back and just give heartfelt words of wisdom. 
So Richard and Joy, I can't thank you enough for sharing everything you did today. And I, again, I just know people who are walking similar journeys and, you know, are not as far out as you. And of course, there's no timeline here, but I'm really going to benefit from what you've shared. So thank you so much again. Thank you for having us, Dr. Levin. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Levin. I started today's podcast by sharing statistics and information about suicide, describing who is at risk for suicide, the number of suicide among teenagers and young adults. However, the interview you just listened to was not about a number and it was not about statistics. Richard and Joy Abador shared the very real and intimate traumatic grief they experienced and continue to live with approximately two years after their daughter, Syra decided to end her life. For some people, a death by suicide is sudden, but not always unexpected, especially if there have been previous suicide attempts, a family history of suicide, or other strong suicide risk factors. As we heard Richard and Joy painfully share, Cyrus' death was completely unexpected, and the night they came home was filled with chaos, shock, and feelings of helplessness when they found their daughter. Richard and Joy also shared with us how difficult it was trying to understand their daughter's decision. Joy mentioned her struggles, looking for a note from her daughter, anything that would help her comprehend the why, but she came up with nothing. She's now stated that she's come to a place where she has accepted that she will never know or understand Cyrus' decision to end her life. Richard, on the other hand, spoke with people he trusted for guidance and advice and has developed a narrative that has provided him with some answers that he can live with. As an aside, I can only imagine how difficult it must have been to parent young adults during the pandemic, to try and navigate and tease out normal developmental changes associated with being a teenager in today's world and the challenges that young people face during quarantine and homeschooling. Throughout today's interview, the couple shared with us differences in how they grieve, but how they were still able to support one another. Although Richard and Joy are just one example, their interview provided us an example of how men and women grieve differently, how partners grieve both separately and together within a marital unit or a committed relationship. Research has shown that men tend to be more task or action-oriented in their grief, and whereas women are more emotional or intuitive and feeling-oriented in their grieving style. Finally, as a clinician and as a human, I want to acknowledge Richard and Joy's decision and courage to be public about Cyrus' suicide at her funeral by participating in today's podcast and for all of their volunteer grief work in service of other. Richard and Joy do not want others to feel isolated, alone, and without resources, 
and they do not want anyone else to experience the pain after the suicide death of someone they love. Some, but all suicides are not preventable and suicide survivors need support because they have unique needs after the loss of a loved one. I cannot thank Joy and Richard enough for their vulnerability and their entire family commitment to suicide prevention. September is National Suicide Prevention Month and throughout the month, mental health advocates, prevention organizations, survivors, allies, allies, and community members unite to promote suicide prevention awareness. For more information, there are multiple organizations you can look up online, but you can also visit the website for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. If you or someone you love is feeling suicidal or in need of crisis support, you can text or call Lifeline 24-7 at 988 to speak with a counselor. Although today's podcast focused on the pain associated with Syrah's suicide, Richard and Joy also share their continued love for Syrah today. They continue to express this love by spending time with their family, by sharing stories, by honoring Syrah's dedication to the environment and tending to their sunflower garden. Cyril will remain forever alive and part of their family. If you would like to connect with Richard or Joy, please email us. There will also be pictures of Cyrus Sunflower Garden in our Facebook group and information on suicide support and resources. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. My next podcast will be on September 27th and will be a follow-up to today's interview where I talk with Richard and Joy's other daughters, Leah and Taya, and we will learn about their experiences after Cyrus' suicide. To learn more about hope and guidance after sudden or unexpected death, please visit therapyheals.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter, Guidance and Grief at www.therapyheals.com. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For guidance and hope with unexpected or sudden death, please visit my website, www.therapyheals.com to learn more about the services we offer. If you would like to share your story on our podcast, in service of helping others heal after a sudden or unexpected death, please email us at info at